Good morning, church. It's so great to be with you. And wow, wasn't it so amazing to see nearly 150 of us worshipping together and praying together on Zoom um, at Deeper on Tuesday just past. What an encouragement that we were able to gather and celebrate God's goodness together in that way. And so today we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. And we're in Acts uh, 24 now, just a few chapters left to go. But maybe if you're like me, you would find a little recap helpful just to remind us how we got here in our passage today. So looking back briefly to Acts 21, Paul is in Jerusalem and he's confronted by some Jews in the temple. They accuse him of teaching against the Jewish people and against the Jewish law and against the sanctity of the temple. And Paul makes his defense among all the Jews who were there. And as he tells of his new faith in Jesus and his ministry to the Gentiles, the crowd erupts into chaos. And really from that point until now, Paul has been passed through the hands of various authorities and none of them have been able to resolve his case. So they've just passed him further on down the chain. From the temple, he was arrested and he was taken to the barracks of the Roman Tribune, which, as I understand it, is a little bit like being held in police custody. And then Paul makes his defence before the Jewish council. And again, he creates even more chaos, but this time over the issue of the resurrection. So much chaos that the Jews actually form a plot to kill Paul. But word about this plot and this threat on Paul's life comes back to the Roman tribune. And so for Paul's protection and his safety while he's in their custody, they actually evacuate him out of Jerusalem. They take him to Caesarea and they bring his case before Felix, who was the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And that's where we find ourselves today. So I want you to imagine that Acts chapter 24 is a little bit like an episode of a courtroom drama series. And it's broken into two scenes. The first scene is in the courtroom itself. Judge Felix is presiding. The Jewish elders are the prosecution. And Paul is making his own defence. And the second scene is a little bit like a montage or a time lapse that takes place over two years. And it gives us a little snapshot of Paul's relationship with Felix during the period when Paul was being held in custody. Of course, it isn't just a great courtroom drama. We believe that this is God's word. And so we hope to gain some valuable insight into the nature of God's kingdom as we look at it together. But let's start by looking at our courtroom scene from verse one of chapter 24. Like any good drama, there is a really interesting power dynamic at play here. There really is no question for the first 23 verses that Felix is firmly in charge. The Jewish elders who seemed so dominant when Paul appeared before them just one chapter earlier are now so submissive before the Roman governor. It's almost comical how much they feel the need to butter him up in verses two to four. It goes like this. 
uh, Tertullus, who's the spokesman um, of the Jewish elders, says, We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms to this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. The tone just seems to be a world away from the aggressive authority that we saw on display at the Jewish Council in chapter 23. But Paul's attitude seems quite different. His address to Felix is respectful, and it's appropriately so, but it's much less apologetic than that of the Jewish elders. In fact, Paul seems confident and even self-assured in his defence. In verse 10, Paul says that he will make his defence gladly or cheerfully, as the ESV puts it. So what was the secret to Paul's confidence? Why is it that no matter how great the authority he faces, he continues to be such a cool customer? I think it must be that always at the forefront of his mind, Paul believes that he serves a king who is greater than any earthly king. And that his purpose is to build a kingdom that is greater than any earthly kingdom. The clue in this passage comes from verse 16, when Paul tells us that he strives to keep his conscience clear, firstly before God and then before man. But you, re you may remember from Marcus's passage a couple of weeks ago that one night when Paul was being held in the barracks in Jerusalem, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. Surely that's the source of Paul's confidence. He knows that his work in building God's kingdom isn't finished yet. And he believes that God will be faithful in carrying him through until that purpose has been fulfilled in Paul. Interesting then, that Paul doesn't really testify explicitly about Jesus at all in our courtroom scene. Instead, he strives to clear his conscience before the Jewish elders by identifying as many factors that aligned his own beliefs with theirs. And those were that Paul claimed to worship the same God, the God of the Jewish ancestors, Paul claimed to believe everything according to the Jewish law and prophets. And Paul claimed that similarly, he hoped for eternal life by means of a future bodily resurrection of the dead. And obviously these things are true, but it doesn't quite paint the full picture of the kingdom, does it? I don't know about you, but I get the sense that Paul is for some reason, he's only half preaching the kingdom in this courtroom scene. He doesn't mention Jesus at all. Why would he do that? A possible explanation might be that Paul was just picking his moment and reading his audience, as we've seen him do so often 
throughout the book of Acts. Paul was willing to exploit any earthly manifestation of authority as effectively as he possibly could to serve his belief that the only true citizenship is that of God's kingdom. And what he leaves unsaid about the kingdom in the courtroom scene, he seems to flesh out in a following conversation with Felix in verses 24 and 25. So in the courtroom, Paul claims that he has the same hope in God as his fellow Jews, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And that is true. That is a belief shared between Christianity and Judaism. I don't know if you um, are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Um, Possibly many of us will be. We don't say it that often at St. Mark's. In fact, more often we sing a song which is based on the Apostles' Creed. But I wonder if you've ever noticed the final lines of the Apostles' Creed, which say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I don't have time to fully unpack that right now, but if, like me, you find that concept totally mind-blowing, then I totally recommend that you get your hands on a copy uh, of a book called Surprise by Hope by Tom Wright, which is a very, very accessible book on this subject. But there is time just to outline one vital difference between the Jewish and Christian beliefs, which Paul must surely have laid out when he spoke with Felix and Drusilla about faith in Jesus, righteousness, self-control and judgment to come in verses 24 and 25. You see, the Jews, by and large, believed in the resurrection only as a future and large-scale and sudden event in which God's kingdom would finally come on earth as in heaven. But they had no expectation that one person would rise in the middle of history ahead of the rest. And here's the difference. For the early Christians, the event of the resurrection had been split in two. Jesus' resurrection was a sign that God's kingdom had already started to break in or had been inaugurated, as Tom Wright puts it, anticipating and guaranteeing the final resurrection of God's people at the end of history. Isn't that so exciting, this idea that God's kingdom has already started to break in? And of course, it's not yet here in full, that's plain to see, but we expect that it will fully come when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, it's our job and it's our privilege to join in with the work of the Holy Spirit as builders of that kingdom. So what was Felix's reaction to this news about God's kingdom? We find it in our second scene from verse 24 onwards. Verse 25 tells us that Felix was afraid. Another translation says he was alarmed by the coming judgment. I wonder whether he might have realised that his rank and authority in the Roman Empire quickly paled into insignificance in the light of God's coming kingdom. 
Maybe he considered what he might have to sacrifice in order to become a follower of Jesus. Whatever the reason, he clearly thinks that he's heard enough. And so he sends Paul away. But notice the difference between the two men. Throughout this chapter, Felix only seems to act in his own interests. But Paul is willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of God's kingdom. Felix appears to reject Jesus, but we know that Paul has accepted Jesus and is preaching and promoting Jesus. Felix is afraid, but Paul just seems to be exuding confidence and he knows his purpose in Christ. And Felix's reign was short-lived. We know that from the end of the chapter that he was succeeded by another governor. But Paul is building a kingdom with the hope of eternity. And like every episode of every good drama series, we're left wondering at the end, what happened? What was said in those discussions between Felix and Paul over that two year period? Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? Did Felix come to accept Jesus in that time or did Paul simply have to entrust him to God when their time together was over? Well, one thing seems certain and can be an encouragement to us. Paul persisted because he believed that the kingdom was just as much for Felix as it was for him. And as long as he had the opportunity, Paul never stopped speaking hope. And the invitation to know Jesus was always there. For me, this has been an encouragement and a challenge to pick up the conversation with an old flatmate of mine from university. We lived together for three years and at various points, we talked frequently about the big questions of life. And sometimes I even managed to share my faith in Jesus with him. Occasionally, I even invited him to events at my church and more often than not, he was happy to come along and to listen. But not much ever seemed to come of it. And we have sort of lost touch in recent years, but I was challenged when I read this chapter by Paul's persistence in personal evangelism as the way to build God's kingdom. And I was encouraged by the thought that the kingdom is just as much for James as it is for me. So, who is Felix to you? Who are the people that you've been praying for during thy kingdom come? Whose life would you love to see changed by the news of this amazing kingdom? Keep going, keep persisting in prayer for them. Keep trusting that through Christ, the kingdom is available and it is just as much for that person as it is for you. Don't be discouraged if your prayer hasn't been answered after this period of 10 days in thy kingdom come. Remember that Paul persisted with Felix for over two years. And probably at some point we've all been a bit like Felix, resistant to God's kingdom because it would mean sacrificing the kingship of our own. Perhaps the reason that many of us follow Jesus today is because somebody persisted in prayer for us. 
somebody put the yards in and took the time to keep sharing the invitation because they genuinely believed that the kingdom was for us too. Maybe like me, when you read of Paul's persistence, you're prompted to pick up the conversation with someone, but you think I could never have the confidence to speak about Jesus like Paul does. Well, Jesus encouraged his own disciples not to worry about what they should say in similar situations. He promises the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. So shall we pray? Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Thank you, King Jesus, that your resurrection is a constant reminder that the kingdom has already begun to break in and it has broken into our lives. Make us expectant of the day when it will fully come at your return. Holy Spirit, will you enable us and equip us to be the builders of your kingdom? Will you give us the words to say at the moment when we need them? We lift those of our friends and family who don't know you or who have resisted you. Will you stir our hearts with the knowledge that your kingdom is open to them and that the time for invitation is always now. We pray these things in your awesome name, Lord Jesus. Amen.